Ulterior. Just about every time that I've opened TikTok the last few days, I have seen clips from the congressional hearing. And I just want to say right now to any parent out there, TikTok is a completely safe environment for your child, but this podcast is not. I'm about to put them onto the worst shit they ever heard. Some have said worst shit includes uh, what I'm covering this episode. So brand new singles from the likes of Linkin Park, Set It Off, Without His Murder, and a few others I want to get through. And then brand new records by August Burns Red of Sulphur, Katie Drives, Soft Cult, Cat's Claw, and Fallout Boy. So yeah, thank you so much. Thank you for tapping in. And I hope you guys enjoy this episode. This is just my own take and my own stance on the discourse around hardcore the last few days on Twitter. I do not think it is a crazy take for somebody to say that for you to consider yourself hardcore, you need to be at a hardcore show. I don't see how that's gatekeeping. It's actually the opposite of gatekeeping. Gatekeeping would be like shunning anybody away who wants to get into hardcore and saying like, no, you can't come in. Like in the video that Hey5-6 posted... J Mindforce like legitimately says what you need to do to be hardcore. It's a welcoming thing. You just have to be involved and go to a show. And I don't think that's a crazy ass thing to say. Just be at a show, follow etiquette, don't be a dickhead, and guess what? You're hardcore. I don't know, man. It's just like a lot of weird takes about that stuff. Hardcore is as popular right now as it has been the last few years, and the more kids that can go to shows and feel welcomed in the space, the better it's going to be for the future of that scene. But moving forward from that, uh, there were actually a lot of singles to get through in this episode. Singles were on one last week, like bands were hooping for real, for real. Um, the first song up, number one ranked track received in the Overlook this week came from Linkin Park, and it is called Fighting Myself. But every time I think I got everything put back together, I end up making more regrets. Just like Lost, this was an unreleased track release as part of the uh, 20-year celebration for Meteora, and I remember on this show saying that Lost sounded kind of forward-thinking for where Linkin Park War in 2003. It reminded me more so of Living Things rather than Meteora. What I can say about Fighting Myself is that this sounds like so in alignment with where they were at on Meteora. It reminds me of Hit the Floor quite a bit, and... To get a song like this now and be able to embrace what is, at least to me, a new Linkin Park song in new metal style, in Meteora fashion, that is genuinely fucking crazy. And this song is just so amazing and unbelievable, and every little element to old Linkin Park that I can ask for is there, and... Hearing this song and hearing Chester talk about, you know, like losing a battle against yourself with context of future events, it's actually really, really daunting. And it's very unnerving and chilling in that instance. 
but it also kind of feels like in a, in a weird way chester like guiding you through this and it's okay to embrace this song it's okay to sing the lyrics out loud to the chorus and i think hearing something like this right now it really really does mean the world to me there really may not have been a better vocal dynamic in the scene than chester and mike and yeah a lot of great memories and the ability to channel his memories into a current day setting is astounding and i'm very happy about that set it off for independent now they don't answer to nobody and i'm grateful for that because the result of that is a new single there is called punching bag I am not going to use this opening to disparage any of Set It Off's more recent material because I actually do like a lot of it. Uh, last year, the song Playing With Bad Luck, which is off of Elsewhere, it was ranked like in the top 50 or top 40 for the year-end stuff. So I really do like Set It Off in their pop incarnation. But hearing a song like Punching Bag that feels sort of uh, like this amalgamation of where they were at in their sound on duality and cinematics. Holy shit. Holy fucking shit. The song is incredible. Like right from the intro and throughout the verses, you have those quirky older set it off elements that give this theatrical atmosphere and combined with the cadence of Cody in this track, it creates a sense of nostalgia for someone like myself who has fucked with this band since horrible kids but it still feels like they're taking what they've learned in their tenure to make what is unquestionably the most cumulative sounding song in Set Off's discography and something that makes me really, really eager to hear what else they're capable of now as an independent project. Brand new song by Thy Art is Murder. This one is Until There Is No Longer. This is the second single so far from The Aggression Sessions, which is the three-way split EP with Thy Art, Fiverr and Autopsy, and Malevolence. I don't know if I've been able to talk about Thy Art is Murder on this show before because I don't think they've had a release window that falls in alignment with the timeline for Alteria's existence. But regardless, I am so thankful to have this chance to talk about them now because Thy Art have been a staple in Deathcore for a reason. They're fucking kings at this shit. And I think Until There Was No Longer is the kind of track where even if you have a sense of comfortability and familiarity with the sound of Thy Art, it's still going to leave you floored. Like, it is so unapologetic in how brutal it is and somehow still manages to create these catchy moments in the instrumentation that puts it over the top in my opinion i think they are have created a legacy for themselves by this point and it's a legacy that is still growing like every time i hear new thy art i just have this like thought process of like how the fuck do they do this how the fuck does every single time this band goes into a studio and decides to cook they just 
fucking smash it every single time. Eulogy is the name of the brand new single out right now by Light the Fire. Alright, so I'll keep it a stack for everyone right now. This was an accident. Whenever I map out which singles I'm reviewing during a week, I make it a point now to have a number that is divisible by five, just for the sake of having complete graphics to post. So like, if you've seen the graphics, you know, it's five for each slide. I don't want there to be instances where like there's only three or there's four because then it feels incomplete. So I make that a point. I had 29 singles last week. So... I quickly scoured the internet to see what else I could add, and that was how I came across Eulogy, and it was really just added for the numerical reasons that I just mentioned, and what I ended up with was one of the best songs I've been able to experience the last few days. This song takes post-hardcore and gives it flavor that is like so tailor-made for somebody like myself who idolize this style of the genre in the 2000s and even still to this day i'm a fucking merchant for all that light the fire crafted a sound that is not only nostalgic but it is also beautiful but it is also gut-wrenching it is also heart aching it is every little element that i want to be mixed into post-hardcore mixed in in this one song and the entire duration of it i just could not pull myself away from it and every time i go back to eulogy i feel like I'm learning something new about the band. I'm exposing myself to something that I've heard before, but I've also haven't heard before. That makes no sense, but my point is that this band fucking hooped, and I am so thankful to have come across this song when I did. Gospel Youth released a brand new single over the weekend called Good Days. So this is my first time in a minute paying attention to something from this band, and I don't mean that disparagingly. They had a record back in 2017 called Always Lose that was a pretty big deal for myself at the time, but afterwards, for whatever reason, I admittedly fell off when it came to keeping up with them, sans what happened with Sam Little. So hearing this new song and not really knowing what to expect from it, I might be inclined to say that I don't know if this band has ever sounded better. Good Days has a massive fucking sound going for it that I think is so like perfectly paced in the verses that make way for the chorus to take on the life that it does. Like the chorus isn't necessarily explosive. It's not like this giant wall of sound, but it's this mellow piece that is like apropos for the gospel youth's sound and it was just like very soothing for myself in a weird way and that's kind of what i'm getting at when i say i don't know if this band has ever sounded better i don't know if all the elements for the gospel youth have ever kind of like you know been working in unison the way they are with good days and i don't know like how active this band is nowadays or what's going to be coming next but if nothing else good days is more than good enough of a reminder for myself that the gospel youth, they can be them whenever they want to be. We got Poison Pill, which is a brand new single out by Silverstein. Can't the 
This is off of the upcoming deluxe edition of Remade in Misery, which was Silverstein's album from last year, and I think a top 15 record for Ulterior in the year and stuff, if I remember correctly. Um, I feel like I say something of this format whenever I cover new Silverstein material on this show, but it is genuinely fucking impressive how good they are this far into their tenure, because there are a number of their contemporaries who peaked early on, and cannot capture the same magic from previous years or spark new magic. Silverstein have gone the last three record cycles, in my opinion, matching their energy and passion from discovering the waterfront and a shipwreck in the sand and so on. Like, right when the song begins, there is this daunting atmosphere being narrated by Shane Told, and that leads into a chorus that fits right in with the rest of Remade in Misery, which utilize some of the biggest chorus moments from any band last year, in my opinion. Silverstein, like I said, it, it's just so amazing and awe-inspiring how good they are still to this day. They have a genuine case for being one of the best bands of all time. Like, I really, really do believe that. Even if I have not done my job in giving them enough of their flowers, they're up there and they belong there. And I'm thankful that people get to see that no matter what point in time they get into them. There are some details out right now about the debut album by Honey Revenge. I'll get to those shortly. But first, here is the brand new single called Airhead. The album is called Retrovision and is releasing on June 23rd via Thriller Records who are like kind of quietly making an all-star roster for themselves, for real, for real. And there is a big part of said all-star roster that Honey Revenge are contributing to because the singles rollout thus far has brought forth some of the catchiest songs that anyone in the scene can find at the moment. Like what's happening on Airhead, it's like at the very core of the song, pop rock, but it's pop rock with aggression. It's pop rock that has purpose and meaning and it feels inspired. And I think Honey Revenge having that kind of a notion going for them, it's going to lend a lot and pay a lot of dividends for what ends up happening on Retrovision. If you're not paying attention to Honey Revenge, I, I don't really know how else to explain this, but you might be missing out. Actually, not might. I really, really think you are going to be missing out on one of the best rising bands in the scene at the moment and a band who this time next year or in two years, we can be talking about as like pillar status. Between you and me, brand new song, never mind. So I think Between You and Me are actually one of the most celebrated and acclaimed bands on Ulterior. Because back in 2021, they had the album Armageddon, and I think it ranked number four for the records that year, and then the song on there, Butterflies, was the first song that this platform has ever named Song of the Year. So, coming off of all that, there was, like, kind of a world's worth of expectations for Nevermind to meet, and I'll say right now, I don't know if it actually does meet all of them, but again, the bar for where Between You and Me left off, off, left off on for Armageddon, I can't fucking talk. It was astronomically high, fucking almost bullshit levels of high. So never mind being a good song, 
it, it does kind of fall flat on some expectations, but it's still like quality material. I think between you and me have this like innate ability to just write these really catchy hooks and riffs. And it's something that I noticed in Armageddon and it translates over very, very well into Nevermind. And whatever is going to be coming forth from this band now as an independent project, not to be like too cliche, but generally the sky is the fucking limit. The final single that I'm going to go into detail on comes from Picturesque and it is called Strange Habits. This is off of the upcoming EP called If You Know, You Know out on April 21st. And if I want to be like brutally honest with you guys about Picturesque, they're a band who has kind of disappointed me in some ways more than they have um, met expectations. And I say that because in 2020, they had an album out called Do You Feel Okay? And it felt like almost any direction I turned to at the time, it was just like a sea of praise for the album. And it's a decent album but not one that I felt compelled to have included in like year-end stuff. It just wasn't that caliber of a release for myself. If there are noises in the background, my cats are playing with some of their toys, so don't mind them. Um, where was I at? Oh yeah, picturesque. So hearing Strange Habits, it was, I don't want to say like an eye-opener for me because I still don't think that highly of the You Feel Okay but as far as this single goes and the possible direction for If You Know You Know, I'm into it. I fuck with this heavily. There's a lot of like real groove and bounce to the delivery of Strange Habits and the execution of it. It's a very catchy song. It's very just infectious. And it feels like it has no right to be any of that, but it is. And I am excited for this direction for Picturesque. I am hoping that If You Know You Know is the release that turns me around in this band and makes me fully embrace them the way that so many others have because I would really, really love to do that because I can sense there is talent and abilities within this band and abundance of it. And I'm hoping this record is the fulfillment of everything there. These were the remaining singles last week that I gave either a 4 or a 5 to in the reviews on social media. Slow Down by As Everything Unfolds. Forgive and Forget by Aviva. Tossing in My Sleep by Calm Girl featuring Brad Garcia from Locket. Intestinal Rap by Creeping Death featuring Corpse Grinder from Cannibal Corpse, Detox by Everybody Dies in Utah, Drones by Grandson, Neurosis by Greyweather, Everything Sucks by Half-Lives, Memories by Neverending Game, Never Die by Neverending Game, Between the Lies by New Haven, Cannibals by A Virtue, Clipping My Wings by Sefer Tomorrow, Sink by Silent Speaks, It's Hell Down Here by The Amity Affliction, Bless Your Heart by Tilly, Stop Living and Don't Dream by Walwyn, Bound by What Lies Below, and Take It Back by Young Pinch. There were two songs that got a 3 out of 5, the first of which was All Pop by Chad Kowal. Um, I'm not into the vocal delivery. I, I think it's kind of strange, and it doesn't really fit the direction of the song, so it kind of flatlined there for myself. And then there was Echo Chamber by Classic Jack. The song tries to be like the mixture of metalcore and hip-hop, like kind of similarly to, I guess, how Ghostmane would do it. And I just can't really get behind the delivery of it. It's not there. So now I'm going to go ahead and move into the records for the week. There were six to get through and I'm going to start with one that I feel like I have a lot to say about, but at the same time, 
not really. Um, it's Death Below by August Burns Red. I've made the joke before on this show, I'm pretty sure I have at least, about August Burns Mid, or whatever the fuck. Let me kind of try to explain my stance about August Burns Red, and where the disconnect between myself and this band comes from, and it doesn't come from a place of malice, like I've never gone into an August Burns Red release with the intention of like, oh I'm gonna fucking hate this, I'm not gonna enjoy it at all. Every August Burns Red album has an enjoyment factor to it. All of them, if nothing else, make it really, really fucking clear how talented every member of August Burns Red is. And if you cannot, I don't care like how negatively you might feel about August Burns Red, if you cannot listen to a single song of theirs and have the mindset that these are some immensely talented individuals, you're just being a dick, honestly. But that's kind of the thing, though. Like, the instrumentation and the performance element, that has never been the issue with August Burns Red, or at least my issue with them. So, towards the end of the 2000s, they had two records out, Messengers and Constellations. At large, I would say those albums kind of act as, like, the like pinnacle element, or the pinnacle points, rather, of August Burns Red in their discography. Those records are genuinely fucking good. Like some of the best metalcore releases from that time frame. And if a new band came around today and had constellations to their name, I would be praising them to the fucking heavens on this show as being like a potential foundation act for metalcore. Because that's what I saw constellations as at the time, you know, and it was a very exciting time for August Burns Red. And then you go through the next few years, and you go into Leveler, then you go into Rescue and Restore, found in faraway places. And at least from my perspective, the thing that stood out to me the most about those records was how little August Burns Red tried to evolve their sound. And like, evolving your sound is a double-edged sword in a lot of ways, because some bands... They change their style, and it just doesn't work. You know, I mentioned Avenged Sevenfold last week when talking about Nobody. I'm going to give another example now. Asking Alexandria. Because Stand Up and Scream is, in my opinion, a top five record in the history of this goddamn scene. And some of the more recent work, like like House on Fire, I just cannot fucking deal with it at all. So, you know, had Asking Alexandria continued to make records that sounded like Stand Up and Scream and Reckless and Relentless, I don't know what my reaction would have been. I don't know if I would have been okay with that because I like it when bands at least take some chances. The Devil Wars Prada, for example. They could have theoretically made Plagues and with Bruce Above and Branches Below for the rest of their careers. I would have enjoyed them, but I don't know how captivated I would have been. And that is what helped make the act and Color Decay all the more special to me. So, like, there is you know, reason to change your sound, and then there's reason not to. But I feel like with August Burns Red, it's so formulaic. And for some people, that works. You know, they are the safest bet, 
in metalcore if that is the kind of sound you're looking for you know maybe you know if you were coming up in like the late 2000s and then 2010s let's just say hypothetically from the standpoint of somebody who's really into just like this style of metalcore you lost bring me the horizon you lost architects you lost motionless and white but you still have august burns red and that's potentially good enough for some people and for those people I am happy that they can have these projects every single record cycle that they know they're going to enjoy. They know they're going to get exactly what they want to hear out of August Burns Red. That's great. For myself, it's not what I'm after. And it's never, ever been what I'm after. And I'll get to Death Below momentarily because there are some things I want to say about it. I will add this, though, about August Burns Red. There is a song that acts as the closer for Phantom Anthem. It was their 2017 album, Carbon Copy. One of the biggest flukes I have heard in the last couple of years. And what I mean by that is it is a kind of a deep cut on that record. And just for whatever reason, that song was like a stars aligning, the heavens opening up kind of a moment for myself. Because that is my favorite August Burns Red song ever. I fucking love that song. And there's not really like a ton that's different about it in comparison to what they've done for the rest of their careers. Like, okay, maybe the guitar work is like a little bit more post-hardcore than it is metalcore. Maybe there's just like some um, pacing elements that make it stand out in that way. But for whatever reason, that song made it possible for me to continuously have hope for August Burns Red. That hope was seemingly um, just nullified by Guardians. I I think Guardians is exceptionally boring. I, I don't really enjoy much about that record. Again, sounds great. The band does their thing. They all are very talented, but the substance for Guardians is not there. And hearing Death Below, I think there is more substance, per se, because there are some songs here that I'm able to find more than enough reason to give chances to. I think the back-to-back stretch between tracks two and three, the cleansing and ancestry, those show off the elements to August Burns Red that work, and they're going to work every single time. I think one of the high points is not only how the cleansing bleeds into ancestry, but the transitions from every song to the next. This album has a great flow to it. Everything makes sense. It feels like this one big connective thread, and I do think that works to the advantage of Death Below. And for the most part, the features on here work. I just mentioned Ancestry, which features Jesse from Killswitch Engage. And then you've also got uh, Jason Richardson on Tightrope. And then JT from Era. He's on The Abyss. Great work on all those fronts. Great feature spots. Um, Spencer from Unroth, his spot in Reckoning, which is also the closing song. I think like the feature works. It definitely does. The song itself, though, some portions of it and especially because it's a closer like it doesn't really do anything in my estimation to stand out and it kind of gets lost in the shuffle in that regard and the same thing with deadbolt it's just like super safe metalcore and again if that's what you're after for august burns red you got everything you wanted but for myself i just want something that makes death below stand out from everything else i just want more moments like carbon copy and i know that's a weird thing to say because i don't even fucking know what it is about carbon copy that really makes it so 
um, like permanent in my brain as being the high point of August Burns Red discography. It just is. And I haven't felt that way about another song of theirs ever since then. But there are definitely songs on here where like I can find comfort in at the very least. Um, Fool's Gold in the Bear Trap. That song incorporates these really sick guitar characteristics that feel unique to just Fool's Gold. And that's an area where I feel like August Burns Red succeeded in being able to make something on Death Below not feel commonplace or ubiquitous. But again, there are just more moments on here where it just, it all blends together. It all bleeds together. I think if nothing else, like Matt kind of having like some death metal influence in his style for drumming on Death Below, that is something that I was able to identify. And I know a couple of other people did because I saw it on TL and something like that kind of shows the ability to adjust and the ability to give records from August Burns Red a flavor all to themselves, if that makes any sense. But as an overall work, I didn't really feel like going back to Death Below too much over the last few days. I haven't felt so inclined to listen to it. I've gone to fucking Carbon Copy, like I mentioned, and then some bits of Constellations just to kind of like remind myself of what August Burns Red can sound like when I think they're like really at the top of their game. Death Below, it kind of just exists in the end, at least in my eyes. And I just really, really do wish that I could have the attachment to this band that other people do. I really do wish that. I'm going to get through a couple of the EPs now. So first up, Safe and Sad by Katie Drives. I had not heard of Katie before, like, close to two months ago at this point, or maybe it has been two months. Um, the reason I found out about her and subsequently this EP was because uh, on Twitter, the Scene Daddy account had posted about uh, a single off of this EP called Anywhere But Here. And usually if I come across something that I'm not aware of through Twitter, I just go ahead and add it to the playlist because why not, you know? expose yourself to new music and so i listened to anywhere but here and i could not pull myself away from it for the fucking life of me and then revisiting that song because of this ep the same thing happened again anywhere but here is as good of an introduction to a new artist as i've ever had the privilege of being a part of anywhere but here takes the idea of pop punk and gives it this very like DIY sound and aesthetic and uses those elements to craft one of the goddamn catchiest songs I've heard in not just the year so far, but the decade so far. And something that is like additionally cool about that song when implemented into Safe and Sad is that it's the opener. So you press play on this EP, Anywhere But Here is the first thing you're going to listen to. And in my opinion, it is the best song on this EP. It is the best song to Katie's name so far. So the way that it was my introduction, if you're just getting into her through this EP for the very first time, it's your introduction as well. I do think that immediately thereafter, the like pacing and the, for lack of a better way of phrasing this, spunk that is positioned in Anywhere But Here 
it's kind of broken away from a little bit because the song following that ghosts is kind of um differently structured and it's not so much about like how infectious of a pop song can this be but rather how effective of a this angst type shit anthem can really be and i think it's very effective in that regard i think the song jump or run might be uh, actually not might be to me it is the most standout song from the non-singles on here i think it kind of goes back to what i mentioned about anywhere but here and like the sort of diy rough raw feel to its production it just kind of makes it sound like something you could imagine being played at like you know like a a house show or something like it just has that energy to it and i really really admire that the two songs are after underestimate me and next to you i do like them a lot honestly but i would also say that just understanding like how good katie can sound one song like anywhere but here or jump and run or the closing track death dreams i feel like those two songs kind of take some of the ideas of safe and sad and give them this spin that isn't as measurable as songs i mentioned before and that's totally fine you know they're, they're still good just to me maybe not as good as the upper echelon of the ep but again anywhere but here kind of set the bar insanely fucking high and then i just mentioned death dreams and closing track the thing about that song that i think is really cool and effective is that it almost has like a 90s grunge flair mixed in with the you know diy pop punk sound of safe and sad and it's a great song for that reason and just coming out of the ep i feel like while it's not a perfect release what it shows me is that there is perfection in the future for Katie as long as she can say the course, continue to do what she's doing. And I see no reason why at some point in the future, she cannot be a name that is, you know, like, um, the first train of thought for people whenever they talk about the best rising pop punk artists in the scene today. Human Fission is the name of the brand new EP out right now by Cat's Claw. I knew next to nothing about this EP or Cat's Claw altogether going into last week, but what I knew at least from the beginning was that this is a new metalcore release from a new band, and that's something that I'm always going to have an ear for. Like, if you tell me, like, hey, go check out this new band that you've never heard of before, but they are able to kind of um, encapsulate the style of metalcore that I am particularly drawn to... I'll fuck with every single time, and with Cat's Claw and Human Vision, I am more than happy that I came across this, because this genuinely was my favorite release from last week. And one of the cool things about the EP is that right when you get into the opening song, Malfeasance, there is like no room to breathe, there's no sort of way of like slowly dipping the listener into what is happening on Human Vision, it just fucking throws you right in and punches you in the face with every single element and characteristic trait that there is to human vision and cast call together and what ends up happening is or like what ended up happening for myself at least was i just kind of got lost in this 
sea of metalcore. And if you've been like kind of keeping up with the show week to week, you understand that right now, metalcore and then even hardcore and deathcore, those are the genres right now. Those are the areas of the scene that I think are the most captivating. And it's been a minute since I felt that way. And Cat's Claw have kind of added this reason for me to be of that belief. And what I just said about Malfeasance and how that song like kind of has no intro, it just kind of throws you or throws everything at you right away. The rest of the EP follows suit with that. There is no time between songs to just like, you know, take in what you heard. Like it's just like, okay, next song, go right into everything that makes Cat's Claw who they are. And I think that is really fucking sick. There aren't many projects I've listened to so far this year that can actually pull that off, but Cat's Claw managed to do it seamlessly. Admittedly, the EP doesn't necessarily do anything like super unique. You guys, if you're like, you know, indoctrinated into metalcore, you've likely heard something in the past that sounds like Human Fission, but the ability to still take these sounds and do them as incredibly well as Cat's Claw did on here is fucking tremendous. Like on the song Dementia, towards the end of it, you've got chugging riffs and growling screams, and that's not something uh, that isn't commonplace in metalcore, but just the way Cat's Claw did it is so, like, awe-inspiring, and it's genuinely um, a stellar notch on their belt. In my opinion, the song Half-Life acts as the highest point of the EP because I feel like on that song, you kind of get a good sense of everything that the EP had been building up to up to that point. And it's just this amalgamation of everything that I personally love about the genre and love about the effect that it can have on my brain. That's a weird way to phrase it, but there's really nothing else I can say. They just understand this shit. And for a band this early into their tenure to understand how to craft cool fucking sounding metalcore that doesn't need to be unique to be a standout, that is crazy. The closing track, Passenger, that song utilizes something that I feel like I've expressed recently on the show before. I can't remember for who exactly. It might have been for Earth Groans. I have to go back and listen to that though. Um, the way that the song kind of sounds like it's just disintegrating at the end of it. And it sounds like everything that had been built up to in Human Fission is just combusting in this one gnarly fucking breakdown section. And it is the perfect way to cap off this EP that is as close to perfect as any band can put out for a debut release. And I'm going to reiterate what I kind of said like seconds ago. Cat's Claw just understand this shit they just get it and all i can ask for for a band so young is to just get it but they do more than that they excel at these sounds that i feel like other metalcore bands around them kind of try to like put their own spin on and sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't cat's claw it fucking paid off in in a big ass way and you know I, i can't really phrase it in any other fashion they fucking hooped for real for real we have a brand new EP out right now by Soft Cult. It is called See You in the Dark. I've talked a little bit before about Soft Cult, and they were actually name dropped and discussed in 
the very first episode of this podcast I ever put out back in January 2021, talking about, or it wasn't in January, it was in February, but I was talking about the top artists of January 2021, and one of the bands I mentioned was Soft Cult because they had put out a song called Uzumaki that kind of got some bad reception pieces, sort of, think pieces like that, because the song was admittedly very similar to Two-Way Mirror by Loathe, but all that song really did was kind of just introduce me to the style of Soft Cult, and I needed that at the time, because Soft Cult is fronted by uh, Phoenix and Mercedes Arnhorn, and if you guys don't know who they are, they were previously in a band called Courage My Love. Were they previously in it, or is Courage still active, just like not really active? Now that I think about it, I'd probably have to research that, to be honest. But my point about needing sort of an introduction to Soft Cult at that time was because Courage My Love is stylistically so different from Soft Cult. Soft Cult embraced this like real shoegaze type of a sound, whereas Courage My Love, they really like bordered pop in a lot of ways. And I loved Courage My Love, but I also love Soft Cult and I've loved a lot of what they've been able to do since their inception. The opening song on the EP is called Drain, and I feel like I talked about this as a single back when it released towards the end of last year, I think it was, and I kind of have the mindset still right now that Drain might be the best soft cult song released yet, and there's something about that song's pacing and just the the deeply brooding atmosphere that it creates. And the EP itself is very brooding altogether, but Drain has something to its delivery that I don't necessarily hear on other songs in the EP. I think Drain, maybe it's the the chorus and how the chorus, it feels explosive, but not in like a, like a catchy sort of infectious, vibrant way. It's explosive while being subdued by the shoegaze sound of Soft Cult. And for whatever reason, I thought it just worked really, really well. I think that the two songs thereafter, Dress and One of a Million, kind of follow suit with Drain in terms of being these pillar portions of the EP. Like, Dress is a little bit more upbeat than Drain, but it still has all of those dark elements that make Soft Cult who they are. And then One of a Million takes the listener back into that very subdued nature. And like I said before, Soft Cult can wield all of these ideas and concepts really, really well. While I do like the songs Someone to Me and Love Song, I think the the biggest detriment to those songs, if anything, is that one of a million kind of takes their core sound and does more with it, I would say. So had one of a million not been part of the EP, maybe I would feel more um, connected to those songs per se. But just because like, I feel like right before those two songs, I was given a real good glimpse into how well uh, Soft Cult can further that shoegaze style. They weren't really as effective as they could have been, if that makes any sense. Unless I'm just waffling and it makes no sense. And then from there, Spoiled is this perfect closing song for the EP because I think it takes the very like somber atmosphere created throughout See You in the Dark and just kind of gives the listener one last opportunity to really like dive into their own emotions along with Phoenix and Mercedes and 
it's just this like really synchronized and beautiful connection between listener and band that I would love to hear more out of from Soft Cult in the future. And I really do think I will because every time Soft Cult does something, I am further impressed by how well they were able to transition from something like Courage My Love, which again, bordered pop music into Soft Cult and just be so like downbeat while still being beautiful, be brooding and depressing while still being captivating for the listener. And those are the biggest advantages of soft cult. And I think these strengths continue to show time and time again in their work. And there are a lot, hopefully a lot of opportunities in the future for them. The debut album by Of Sulfur is available right now. It is called The Burden of Faith. For anybody who might not know, the vocalist of of Sulphur is Ricky Hoover, who used to be the vocalist of a band called Suffocate. And if all of that is still foreign to you, just know that Ricky is, in my opinion, one of the greatest deathcore vocalists the scene has ever been graced by. Like, even back during Suffocate, there was always this element to Ricky's delivery that I thought put him in the same category as like Mitch Lucker or Phil Bozeman or Alex Kohler. He was really, really within that range. And still to this day, I feel that way about him. I think Of Sulphur has been able to kind of hopefully show him off to a, a new crop of deathcore listeners who maybe didn't have that chance back then. And one of the things about Of Sulphur and on this EP or album altogether is how there are elements that remind me a lot of deathcore from that specific era of like Suicide Silence, Chelsea Grin, where it's just like really heavy in your face. And then as you progress through, say, the opening song, Stain and Rot, you get these symphonic elements that are kind of akin to what certain deathcore bands nowadays try to do. And to me, it is this combination of elements of deathcore spanning different generations. And that in turn makes of Sulphur's delivery on this genre something memorable for myself. And then, you know, of course, you kind of have to talk about breakdowns when you go into deathcore. And the breakdowns within of Sulphur's delivery here on Burden of Faith are some of the heaviest and like in a good way, most grotesque moments on any record I've heard so far this year. The ability that this band has to make these just headbanging and foot-stomping notions within their songs is something that I think is like a like a standout for them in comparison to their contemporaries. Like, there are a lot of deathcore bands that can do breakdowns well, but to do breakdowns perfectly is a real art form, and Of Sulphur have mastered that already. There's, like, hedging or some shit going on outside, so if you hear that, don't mind them. Actually, you know what? Fuck y'all! Seriously, fuck y'all! I'm working! I'm building a dream here! Go fuck yourselves! There are some really cool featured spots on here that I think add a lot of variety to the sound of Of Sulphur. So like on Befowler, you've got Alex Darable from Sauter Bavale, Unraveling has Taylor Barber from Left to Suffer, 
and wide open has Howard Jones from Light to Torch. He used to be in Kill Switch Engage. If that sound, if that name sounds any familiar to you guys, um, the closing song was the soundtrack having Kyle Medina and Lizzie Schoolcraft. I particularly noticed the Howard Jones feature because to me that was like something that kind of made sense in my head. But for me to understand where that feature spot was going, I really did need to hear the song rather than just see it on paper. And something about that song that surprised me was just how well Howard's like monstrous and powerful voice lends itself to the style of Of Sulphur and how easy it is in that song to just go from his clean portions into Ricky just laying down as good of screams as he ever has in his career. And if you want specific examples of him sounding as good as he ever has, the song I Apostate kind of puts you through this roller coaster experience where he is diving into all of the different techniques and abilities that he has with his voice. And it is almost like this cumulative track to really get across the different styles of Ricky's delivery and all of his different screams and just how well he can incorporate all those into Of Sulphur's style. I will say that there is one song that kind of fell just slightly a little bit flat in comparison to the rest of the record here, and that is Earthen. There is something about Earthen's um, approach, I guess, in terms of how they fuse these like clean sections into the song and there are plenty of other tracks here like on be fowler where it's not a problem at all but on earthen it just kind of doesn't really mirror what the rest of the band is doing and so for that reason it doesn't feel as um like well refined as it could have been if that makes any sense I did mention earlier the title track and how that features uh, Comedina and Lindsay Skullcraft. Lindsay lending her voice to that song really, really helped it out a lot because I feel like going through this record, it really needed something of like a real exclamation point and like a real definitive statement for the closing song. And I'm not saying that Of Sulphur couldn't have done that without Lindsay, but it was a lot fucking easier with her voice being there because she is just enchanting and she is able to find a home within that song and it's just really fucking cool to get to hear. And then just the way that song closes out with this breakdown and Ricky's screams and like this almost like a screeching effect going on behind all that, it's almost like sensory overload in a way but it's the kind of sensory overload that just brings me back down to earth and makes me appreciate what is happening on this record even more. And in the time that I've been able to spend with the last couple days, I initially went eight and a half on it. I'm like at a nine now, really, when I hear The Burden of Faith, because it is one of the most complete packages for Deathcore I've heard so far this year. And it's the kind of record that I would imagine is going to stay with me for a really long time and is going to be able to elevate Of Sulfur even further in my mind of where they currently stand in the landscape of Deathcore. And for the final record of the day, we have So Much for Stardust by Fallout Boy. Alright y'all, let me take one hit of my vape right quick because if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it right.
Okay. Fallout Boy is one of the most important bands I have ever been exposed to. And I discovered them pretty early on, relatively early on. And it was on the album From Under the Cork Tree. In my mind, From Under the Cork Tree is the greatest pop punk album ever made. It is, at the very fucking least, top 10 in history. There is no bit of that album's runtime that falls flat in any fucking way. It is a masterpiece. And to be able to experience that at such a young age and have my mind be opened to Fall Out Boy, it was genuinely life-changing. I fucking adore that album with every fucking inch of my heart. And then going backwards from there and listening to Take This to Your Grave, which is more of like a, like a punk album than it is pop punk per se, I love that stupid fucking album so fucking much. And from there, Infinity on High being the first album by Fall Out Boy that I was able to follow the cycle for and understand immediately like how fucking massive songs like This Ain't a Scene and um, Thanks for the Memories were going to be and then have other tracks in there like Hum Hallelujah, The Carpal Tunnel of Love, um, Take Over the Breaks Over, just everything about that album spoke to me in this really profound manner at the time that I was like 11, 12, whatever it was. And then Folia Do has, in my opinion, the best song Fall Out Boy has ever put out, Head for Slide into Cooperstown on a goddamn fucking bad bet. It's not really called that, it's just Head for Slide into Cooperstown on a bad bet, but you get my point. I love that song so much. It is my everything. It is my heart. It is my core. It is my being. That song shaped me. So then that brings me to this point that everybody makes. There is pre-hiatus Fall Out Boy and there is post-hiatus Fall Out Boy. Pre-hiatus Fall Out Boy is one of the greatest bands of all time. I genuinely fucking believe that. Post-hiatus, they kind of suck. <laughs> they kind of suck. Um, Save Rock and Roll is largely a good album. Some songs on there are forgettable. Um, Young Volcanoes, I think it's called specifically. Like It's just like, uh, whatever. But then like The Phoenix, um, The Mighty Fall, Where'd The Party Go, even my songs that we did in the dark, I love those songs. I, I think they're great. American Beauty, American Psycho is largely a piece of shit. Sans, the closing song, Twin Skeletons, which for whatever fucking reason ended up being one of my favorite songs Fall Out Boy have ever written. It makes no sense, but I just feel that way about it. Mania from 2018. Dog, fucking miss me with that shit. I don't like that album at all. I think Mania fucking sucks. There's just like this real, like, startling division between pre and post hiatus Fall Out Boy to the point where... I kind of view them as different bands, you know, as, as like pretentious or douchey as that sounds. That's just kind of how I've chosen to look at it. So much for Stardust wasn't the chance for Fall Out Boy to right the wrongs because the wrongs will always exist. You know, Mania is always going to be there. American Beauty American Cycle will always be there. I can't change that. But at the very least, So Much for Stardust had the opening to correct the course for Fall Out Boy per se. And that sense of what could have been was made apparent off of the lead single love from the other side which i think coming out of this album i view it as 
the best song here, and it was definitely the right choice for a lead single, because it got me fucking amped for this record. It was just like a real moment in time. Like, I love that song. It is like top three post-hide song, you know, along with Twin, uh, Twin Skeletons and Where Did the Party Go, in my fucking opinion. That song is amazing. The single after was Heartbreak Feels So Good, which I don't think is as good as Love From The Other Side, but it's still like a real quality song. It's still very good, and it still exists in the upper echelon of where Fall Out Boy have been going post-hiatus. The song Hold Me Like a Grudge, I think, kind of takes what was happening on the two previously mentioned songs and adds like a little bit more of this pop flair to it, but it's done in a way that is able to make me look at or continue to make me look at so much of Stardust in its own regard, separate from Mania and American Beauty, American Psycho. It's still a very good song. To me, the song thereafter, Fake Out, it's a little bit almost too similar to Heartbreak Feels So Good in its delivery and just the way it sounds. But by that point in the record, I feel like Okay, there is an established sound for this album, and Fall Out Boy are going to maybe follow it to a T, and if that's the case, that's fine. I have no issue with that, because so far, what I've heard, I liked. And then, Heaven, Iowa happened. I don't have an exceptional issue with Heaven, Iowa, but when I was getting through that song for the first time, it's so slow that I was just like, getting bored with it and I was kind of just like okay what's the point to this like it to me it disrupts the flow of the album because up to that point everything was fine and then Heaven Iowa just kind of derails a lot of the momentum that so much of Stardust had built for itself up to that point the good thing though is that after that the album is able to kind of pick its steam back up and get things rolling again so good right now is just very fun and infectious and it has like this really sick rhythmic movement to it going for it and then I Am My Own Muse, it's like theatrical in a lot of ways. It's like a, almost like a symphonic pop rock song. And I think that kind of uh, an approach in the style of where so much for Stardust is going, it really worked out for Fall Out Boy. I think the one slight misstep going forward for the rest of the album came on the Kintsugi Kid, which kind of, similarly to what I said about Fake Out, it's almost too similar to Heartbreak Feels So Good in a lot of ways. Like, I just kind of feel like at that point, Heartbreak Feels So Good felt like it might have been recycled throughout the record. And I just would have preferred for them to kind of go into a different direction for that song. But in going through the rest of the songs, I think Flu Game is fucking massive in its sound. And it, it's going to like be a, a big hit for the arena shows that Fall Out Boy do later on. Um, what a time to be alive. That song caught me off guard like a motherfucker. It's almost like Michael Jackson-esque in the pop sensibility to it. But I think it works out really, really well for Fall Out Boy. And understanding, like, this was a song that, like, you know, it, it came from Patrick's brain. Like, Patrick put this one together because it, it falls in alignment with what is inspiring to him. And it ended up, like I said, working out really well for So Much of Stardust. Does it kind of feel out of place? Yes. Does it fit in with the album? Maybe not necessarily, but it's still a goddamn good song. And then the closing song, which is the title track, So Much for Stardust, it kind of has like this, uh, almost like a daunting sound to it with piano mixed in, and it creates this atmosphere 
that I can't really compare it to another Fall Out Boy song. So they did a stellar job at making it stand out. It is very unique for their discography. And it ended up being like one of the standouts from the record, in my opinion. I think it's a great song, a fucking great way to close out the record. And coming out of So Much of Stardust, I don't think that there is any way to deny that this is the best post-hiatus Fall Out Boy album. There is so much going for this album. There's a lot of great ideas here. You know, some moments that kind of fall flat, sure. But at large, it is tremendous. But me being the old head that I am and the sort of embodiment of cynicism when it comes to having too much of an attachment to 2000s scene music, it's not better than any of the pre-hiatus albums. I just... God, it's hard to explain without sounding like a fucking piece of shit elitist. I just want you guys to understand, 2000s Fall Out Boy meant the world to me. And there's almost no way to recapture that magic. So if I do have to compare this album to pre-hiatus Fall Out Boy, it doesn't measure up. It's nowhere near as good as any of those shits. But post-hiatus, this is the best they've ever sounded. Like, it really, really is. And that's it. That was every album and EP and single from last week for me to review. I I think this is going to end up being like a long episode by the time I finish editing it and putting it all together. So... I guess I apologize for that, but at the same time, like I've said before, I had to cook, so thank you for letting the kid cook. Next week is going to be even more packed, so thank you in advance for letting me do my shit there. But, yeah, um, I'm going to go ahead and get out of here now. I'm really tired, and yeah, I just hope you guys had a fun time. Thank you for listening. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode, and as always, for the love of the game, let's make a scene.